Well, I think we've come to now the most difficult part of Job. As now we are going to listen to God's answers as Job has been longing for this moment and now God is going to speak. I reminded you of some things earlier and very early on about we would get to some very difficult points in looking at some of the answers that God gives. I give you forewarning now. This is that. (laughs) This is it in terms of the answers that God gives. But I hope that while in the middle of it, it may be um, disturbing at the moment that when we get to the end, that it'll bring some resolve into some of the answers that, that are given. And some of the things that we'll look at, we've already noted, but God now really gives uh, great detail to the concept. So we're going to be in Job chapter 38 and 39 tonight with touching just a little bit into chapter 40. Uh, in, in looking at what God is going to do with Job here is, is pretty fascinating because how many people have thought they could run the world better than God? And some people will expressly say it as such, you know, God's doing a terrible job. And if I were running the world, this is the way things would be. And certainly, I think from at some given point, we have that idea across our mind of what is God doing? What is going on? And in that very questioning, we're we're suggesting the idea that, well, we have a better sense of how things ought to operate, how things ought to go. Commonly, questions are asked like, if there is a God, then why is the world the way that it is? If there is a God, why is there so much evil? Why is there suffering? Why are there natural disasters? And uh, why is there pain? And we, in our infinite wisdom, usually have all the answers to that and submit that we would do a far better job than that. What we've seen up to this point in what we've looked at in Job is that Job has questioned his own circumstances. He has questioned what God is doing with him and has questioned how God is running the world because the problem is it doesn't make sense that he is suffering the way that he is considering he is righteous, he is blameless, he is upright, he fears God. And so there is something that God has done wrong. And if you remember some of the things that Job has said, one of the biggest things that he has desired is if he could just have the opportunity to come into the presence of God, he would be able to lay out his arguments, he would give his responses, presenting his case before God, and God would surely listen and change course after Job had presented these things. And now Job gets his chance, as that's what we're going to look at now in Job chapter 38. Job 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job... Out of the whirlwind. That already just, you just start and go, uh oh. <laughs> Notice that the word is answered. Job has posed the questions and God is now going to answer. I'm going to give you the answers that you need, Job. Job, you wanted me to explain myself, so let me come and give you the answers that you desire. And notice the way in which God comes. He comes in a whirlwind. He comes in a storm. And I hope that you recognize that is typically how God reveals Himself when you come into His presence is some kind of cloud storm kind of concept. You see it like in Exodus chapter 19 when we have that Moses and the people coming to Sinai. We read there in Exodus 19.16, 
On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. You see the storm idea, darkness and cloud and thunder and lightning. Here is God's presence coming to Mount Sinai. We see the same thing as a picture when uh, we have Elijah. If you remember when God is coming to Elijah in 1 Kings 19 verse 11. He said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke the pieces of rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. Remember, finally, then he comes in a quiet voice. But first you have this storm kind of sequence of booming and strong wind is coming as God comes. If you remember Ezekiel 1, and often we get... Uh, mesmerized and captivated by Ezekiel 1 and the pictures of this amazing throne room scene of God. But before you get into the eyes and the eyes and the wheels and all of that, you get this declaration that Ezekiel says, I, I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north and a great cloud with brightness around it and fire flashing forth continually and in the midst of the fire as it were gleaming metal. And then we go on to read the amazing description of the throne room scene of God. When God comes, He comes in a storm. He comes in a whirlwind. He comes with lightning and thunder. He comes with majesty. And so you're getting that picture here. That Here you have the Lord answering Job out of this whirlwind as He's going to speak to him. Here are the first words that the Lord speaks to Job in verse 2. Who is this? that darkens counsel by words without knowledge. Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Oh, man. (laughs) So God just comes and says, Who is darkening my counsel? Who is this that that does this? This word for counsel is a pretty broad word. It could be saying, who is this who darkens my plans? Who questions my designs? Who is challenging my wisdom or my purposes? That's the idea of what God is saying. Who is this one who is casting darkness over my plans, my wisdom, my purposes, and, and, and my design? And so then he says, I want you to literally, it says, gird up your loins. Some of the modern translations say, prepare for action or dress yourself and prepare yourself. I like the NIV and the NLT say, brace yourself. It's now time to get ready. God is going to speak and Job, you need to be dressed for action. Prepare yourself because I'm going to question you and I want you to reveal to me the answers of the things that I'm going to question you about. And the reason why this would be startling is not only because this is the amazing, majestic God who now comes and begins to speak to Job, 
But Job had said that he could ask such penetrating questions and cause God to answer. God would answer me when I said, and now God comes and says, you answer me. I'm going to give you some questions and you make it known to me. Let's see if you have understanding. Let's see what you can reveal for the things that I'm going to question of you. Here he begins, verse 4, as he begins to question. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb, when I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far you shall come and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began? And cause the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth, and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal, and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld, and uh, their uplifted arm is broken. God begins, and He just starts describing pieces of creation. And ultimately just starts with him and says, now were you there at the beginning when I started all of this? Verse 4, where were you? I love that. Where were you when all this was getting going? And then in verse 5, who determined? Who was the one who said these would be the limits? That this is the order and the operation by which creation would go. And I love verse verse 4. So tell me if you have understanding. Verse 5, surely you know. Job, you've said much. Surely you have understanding about all of this. And surely you were there at the beginning. And you can explain all of this as to why the creation is the way that it is. And the point that God is getting at right from the beginning is everything has been purposefully ordered by God. God has set these things in place. Which, by the way, when you go back to Genesis 1 and 2, and when God does the creation and He creates and He sets everything in its order, what did He step back and say was about that? It was good. Everything in the creation, and not just simply the animals are good and the light's good and the stars are good and all that, but it's arrangement and order. The system by which God put all of that in place was good. In fact, it was so good that you notice God says in verse 7, the morning star sang and the sons of God shouted for joy. He says, it was so good, it was held together just right and perfectly and purposefully done by God. That the spiritual beings and the stars themselves and all creation shouted aloud and said, this is good, and they rejoiced over what God did. And here is Job coming in and saying, the way you do things, I don't agree with. And God is saying, really? 
You don't like how I'm running things. You don't think I've put these things together right, yet all creation was good. And the stars and the sons of God rejoiced over what I did in that creation. And in that, you as we read here in verses 8 through 15, what you are seeing is God declaring He has complete power over the creation. One of the great pictures there is like the picture of the waves and saying, I've told them to do this and go no further. The seas can only go so far. Everything has its limits. Everything has its boundaries. And all of it rests under God's authority. Everything is under God's control. All of it is under His authority. It is all within His power. Now let me challenge you right here in what God said. Because you will notice that what He does is He is not merely explaining the creation when He says this. One of the things that is pretty common in symbolism and poetry as we are reading here in the book of Job is that darkness and the seas and things like that represent evil and represent wickedness. Revelation is a great picture of that where we see the dragon taking his stand one foot on the land and one foot on the sea and takes the beast out of the sea. This imagery of this is the essence of evil. You know, you're supposed to see that and go, ooh, nasty, bad, awful, ugly. And we're seeing that imagery here. In fact, you'll notice the shift that happens. We're reading all this about the sea and the waters and the darkness. But watch what happens here in verse 12. Have you commanded the morning since your days began? Cause the dawn to know its place. Okay, we're talking about light, it seems like. That what does it do? That it shakes the wicked out. Notice it again in verse 15. From the wicked, the light is withheld and the uplifted arm is broken. He's not just talking about creation and saying, oh, I put limits on the sea. He's also using that as a picture and saying, I have power over the wicked. I have power over evil. I have power over all creation. If I have power over the sea and I have power over the order and arrangement, I have authority over everything. Which causes us to back up and look at the imagery now of what he just said about the sea and the darkness because he says you have the power to bring the light and shake out that darkness, to shake out that evil, to shake out the wicked and cause its judgment. No, Job, you don't. I do. But notice the pictures that were given here. He's saying even evil has its limits. It is under God's authority. And God does shake out the wicked. Notice he's challenging Job in this. Are you able to have constraint on that? Do you have authority over those things? Do you have power over those things? In fact, when you go back to verse 8, when he's making this point about shutting in the sea with the doors and making the clouds a garment, thick darkness, and prescribing limits for it and saying, thus far you shall come and no further. You know, God is making a point here when he's telling here, I made creation. And I made things in a particular order. And there is a particular reason why I have things running the way that they run. Let me put down our first challenge. What God is telling Job is even this has a purpose in God's order. 
Even this has a purpose in God's order. And I want you to consider the reality of that when we look at the whole of scriptures. Before the creation of humanity, before we even enter into Genesis, could God have judged Satan and his angels before the creation of humanity and said, I will deal with them before I even put people on the earth? He could have. When he creates humans and we see the fall of Adam and Eve and after they sin, could God come in in Genesis 4 and say, all right, it's time to judge Satan and all of his angels and we'll deal with them right here in Genesis 4? He could have. How about after Genesis 5 where we see Cain murdering Abel? God can come in right there and say, all right, time for judgment, time to deal with Satan and I'm going to now deal with him. God does not do it. I think it's important for us to observe that God is continuing to allow evil to run. He can do something about it right now. He could do something about it at any given moment. To suggest otherwise suggests that we do not have a powerful God. That he just somehow has let all of this run out of course and hopefully one day he'll be able to put it all back together again. He has allowed these things to happen. This is the picture of what's going on here and talking about the sea and the darkness and saying, I gave it limits. I gave it boundaries. I allow it to go only so far and no further. Friends, how did Job 1 and 2 begin? Satan comes and says, here's what I want to do. God goes, here's the boundaries and no further. So Satan goes out from the presence of the Lord and takes everything away from Job. God comes back and says, see my servant Job, who is upright, fears God, turns away from evil. Satan says, that's because you didn't touch his health. What does God say? Here's the boundaries and no further. Here is God exercising authority over Satan, exercising authority over creation, exercising authority over all that is within him. And that's the whole idea is that all that he has made, all that he has created, there is nothing beyond his authority. That doesn't mean that he causes evil. That does not mean he enjoys evil. It doesn't mean he takes pleasure in it. But he has allowed evil to exist. For he could end it at any time he chose. He could have done it before Genesis 1. He could have done it in Genesis 1. He could have done it in Genesis 3, Genesis 4. Anywhere he would like to do that. He could deal with him. And deal with Satan. And deal with evil. The whole message here that he's getting here when he talks about this light and darkness and says there is a time, verse 13, that the wicked are going to be shaken out by the light. There's a time where that's going to happen. To recognize that evil does not operate outside of God's design or God's power. God has control over that. God can limit that. God can stop that. We should not visualize God as some kind of God who does not exercise authority over Satan. If we take that point of view, there's a a philosophy called deism. And that's what that is is then we are establishing that there are two gods and they are battling each other and you know we think our God's a bigger God and He's going to deal with the lesser God. That's not the picture God ever gives. God says, it's me and there's nobody else around here. I'm in charge of it all. I rule over all creation. 
And there is a picture of what God is saying is that there is a purpose to these things. And that's why the world runs the way that it runs. And why God allows these things to be in this world the way that he does is that God has created this world with a purpose and with a particular order. God puts limits on that evil and nothing goes beyond his authority. When we studied the first two chapters of Job, that was one of the things that we took solace in. As we saw that here is God and he is limiting this far No further. This is all you can do. And can Satan go outside of that when God said this far, no further? He cannot. That's all he can do. In fact, one of the things that we enjoyed in reading that was before Satan can do anything, what is Satan doing? But having to go into the presence of God and receive permission before he does anything. This is a powerful idea about God that God is saying, I am in control. I rule these things. Just as one other thing to go with, and then we'll move forward. When we studied Daniel, remember one of the concepts where we saw the sovereignty of God in the book of Daniel, where God is making his declaration and saying, I'm the one who causes kings to rise and fall. Friends, I dare say, not all the kings have been righteous. God is at work yet. God is accomplishing his will. God has established limits. And we see that happen. Nebuchadnezzar had his run and then God said, and thus no further. How many rulers we see that happening where God says, and this and no further, and then their time comes. And so this is the initial answer that God is giving to Job as he tells him, who do you think has the power over all of creation from the sea to even evil itself. Notice how God will now continue with that as he describes his rule over the rest of nature. Verse 16, have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this here. If you can't even understand the depths of the sea, how do you think you can explore the depths of the mind of God? How do you suppose, Job, that you know God's purposes if you can't even figure out the depths of creation itself? And yet Job stands there and thinks that he has the right answer to these things. Verse 19. Where is the way to the dwelling of light and where is the place of darkness that you may take it to its territory, that you may discern the paths to its home? You know, for you were born then and the number of your days is great. What's God saying again? I I control the light and the darkness. I control all this. I'm in complete control of everything. And even when it comes to the dwelling of light and the place of darkness, I rule over that as well. Verse 22, have you entered the storehouses of the snow? And have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? What is the way to the place where the light is distributed or where is the east wind is scattered upon the earth? What God just say now? He says, I even use the creation to bring trouble. He says, I even use creation to bring trouble. We should know that. Go read Exodus 9. What did God do? Water turned to blood. Frogs, flies, flies, right? What's God doing? 
God is taking creation and judging Egypt. Joshua 10 verse 11, great picture. Here is God raining hail down on Canaanite kings. God says, I use the creation and I store it up and I'll use it for a time of trouble. I am in control of these things. Verse 25, who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain and the way for the thunderbolt to to bring rain on the land where no man is, on the desert in which there is no man to satisfy the waste and the desolate land to make the ground sprout with grass. Here's the point that God makes. I put the rain where I want. I can, can you make the rain over here and not over here? Have you ever been in Florida and you saw it raining across the, on the other side of the street and not here? And you're like, well, that is crazy. Here's God going, can you change that? Do you have the power to do that? I do. I can make it rain where I so choose. I'm loving it in California. I, I grew up and it's just been, you know, a drought for eternity in California. We live in the desert out in Southern California. You know, you just can't ever use water. They have water out their ears right now. They have, they are, the drought is over now. They have so much water now. Did we have any power over that? Could we do anything about that? Not the slightest. Not the slightest. And that's what he's trying to observe here for humanity. Do you have the power to cleft a channel for the torrents of rain to go this way or that way? Verse 26 or 28. Has the rain a father who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb did the ice come forth? And who has given birth to the frost of heaven? The waters become hard like stone and the face of the deep is frozen. Basically, can you explain these things? Can you explain this about the ice and the frost, all this? No, you cannot. You have no power over that. Verse 31, can you bind the chains of Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Maseroth in their season? Or can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? Here's, here's God saying, can you control the stars? Can you put Orion in its place and make it sit there the way that it sits there so that everybody can look at it and go, yeah, okay, I see it right there. Let's see you hold it in place, he says. Let's see you put the constellations where they are, Job. Let's see you do that. Verse 34, can you lift your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and the, and, and the clods stick fast together? Another picture of the rain. Can you control the rain with your voice, Joe? Can you just say, rain? You are supposed to step back and hear in this God saying, do you think that there is something outside of my power or my control? Do you think that I do not have the power to deal with control or have authority over something in this creation, anything that has ever been made, that God does not have authority over it? Of course he does. And the picture is, we do not, but God most certainly does. God's not done with him. From the rest of chapter 38 on through chapter 39, he moves from the inanimate creation and, uh, and now we'll move to the animals and animate, animated creation. Notice in verse, verse 39 of chapter 38, 
Can you hunt the prey for a lion or satisfy the appetite of young lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in the thicket? Who provides for the raven its prey when its young ones cry to God for help and wander about for lack of food? Can you, can you provide the food for the animals, Job? This reminds me of when God tells Moses, go feed the people. And Moses just goes, how am I going to feed all these people? <laughs> I don't have the power to do that. And God goes, well, watch me do that. And it just rains food. Here you go. And here he's saying, Job, can you feed all the animals in the wild? Can you provide food for them? Can you take care of them? Of course not. Chapter 39, verse 1. Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the calving of the does? Can you number the months that they fulfill? And do you know the time when they give birth? When they crouch, bringing forth their offspring and are delivered of their young? Their young ones become strong. They grow up in the open. They go out and do not return to them. Do you have control over these inaccessible animals who hide in these inaccessible caves? Is it possible for you to have control over those things? No, you don't have control over that. Verse 5. Who has let the wild donkey go free? Who has loosed the bones of the swift donkey? To whom I have given an arid plain for his home and the salt land for his dwelling place. He scores the tumult of the city. He hears not the shouts of the driver. He ranges the mountains as his pasture and he searches after every green thing. Can you give freedom and provision to the animals in the wild? Can you do that for a donkey? No, you cannot. God takes care of all of those things. You know, as you think about all this, you remember how Jesus spoke about how God had care for even a sparrow. Here's God giving that kind of description here. Do you see that I have the power over all of this, that I have sustained all of this and made all of creation the way that it is? May it ring in our ears that here is God who sustains the earth and sustains the creation by his very word. This is what is being pictured to us by God again and again. Verse 9. Is the wild ox willing to serve you that he spends the night in in your manger? Can you bind him in the furrow with ropes? Or will he harrow the valleys for you? Will you depend on him because of his great his strength is great, and will you leave him in leave to him your labor? Do you have faith in him when he returned your grain and gathered it to your threshing floor? You make can you make these wild animals tame? Can you make a wild ox tame and all this drink? God goes, you can't. You can't do that. Verse 13, the wings of an ostrich wave proudly, but are they the pinions and the plumage of love? For she leaves her eggs to the earth and lets them be warmed on the ground, forgetting that a foot may crush them and that the wild beast may trample them. She deals cruelly with her young as if they were not hers, though her labor be in vain. Yet she has no fear because God made her forget wisdom and given her no share in understanding. When she rouses herself to flee, she laughs at horse and his rider. Did you make the ostrich dumb like I did, God said, and yet somehow it still lives? Who's going to do that? God's going, do you understand the, the wisdom of God, the power of God, the mind of God? He says, I took wisdom away from the ostrich, and yet you can't catch it. You're not going to get a hold of it. It's a great picture again of the power of God. Verse 19, do you give the horse his might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like the locust? His majestic snorting is terrifying. He paws in the valley and exults in his strength. He goes out to meet the weapons. 
He laughs at fear and is not dismayed. He does not turn back from the sword. Upon him rattle the quiver, the flashing spear and the javelin. With fierceness and rage, he swallows the ground. He cannot stand still at the sound of the trumpet. When the trumpet sounds, he says, Aha! He smells the battle from afar, the thunder of the captains and the shouting. Here's God saying, Did you make the horse so it would be ready to go to battle? You think that was a human invention. God goes, No, I made it ready to do that. I made it look at battle and it goes, all right, let's go. It's it's made for for battle. It's made to go into war. And he says, I did that. Do you give this horse its strength? Of course you do not. Verse 26, is it by your understanding that the hawk soars and spreads its wings toward the south? Is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? On the rock he dwells and makes his home on the rocky crag and stronghold. From there he spies out the prey. His eyes behold it from far away. The young one sucks up blood and where the slain are, there he is. If you give him the hawk and the eagle, it's amazing vision such that it can be these birds of prey. Now, here's the question. Why did God do all that? Why did He just go through all that with Job? What is His purpose in making Job listen to all of that and to hear all of of those things? What is God trying to accomplish in that? I think it's important for us to observe that verse 1, here is, the Lord said, and actually it says, the Lord answered to Job of chapter 40, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. This is God's answer. Because Job has found fault with the way God runs the world. Job has been saying to God, this is a problem. What I have in my life is not right. God takes away my right. And so the way God is operating is not right. And so now God responds by saying, well, let's see your wisdom. Let's see your power. And to go through this in these two chapters is to expose to Job and to remind Job, you have very limited vision. You have very limited wisdom. You have limited power. And the words that God says here, shall the fault finder here contend with the Almighty. That word contend is used to speak of confronting another person, even in court, over a breach of contract obligations. I'm going to contend with you because you haven't kept your end of the contract. And this is God's question to Job. Are you going to say that I have failed in my obligations? Is that going to be your challenge to me? Are you going to say to the one who has a supreme authority over all creation, who made everything the way that it is, that I have let you down somehow and have not held my end of the bargain? In our studies of Job, I hope we consider that that is essentially what Job has boiled it down to. What profit is it for the righteous to serve God because God is not upholding His end of the bargain? And God is coming in and saying, are you really going to say that I'm not upholding my obligations? Are you going to come in the presence of God and suggest that that is the case? I think this is an important message. And I want us just to contemplate what God just has has done here. 
we do this even among ourselves and worse when we do it to God. We are in no position to tell another person how to do something about which we have no knowledge whatsoever. Imagine it. Say I came onto your job site, wherever you work, be it at home, corporate, wherever in the workplace. And I saw you working and I said, you have no idea what you're doing. What are you doing? You're doing it all wrong. You are foolish to do it like that. I mean, you just make no sense doing things like that. You should do it like this, X, Y, and Z. There's something wrong with you for doing it the way you do it. And you look at me and go, you have no idea what you're talking about. You have no experience. You have no knowledge. You have never done this before in your life. And who are you to come to me and say, this is how you're supposed to do it? It'd be like you coming to me and saying, you know, this is how you're supposed to do your job as a preacher. I'd say, you've never done it in your life. What are you talking about? And yet, what do we do? We go before God and say, God, why are you doing things like this? As if we have the knowledge or capability to go before God and say, why are things the way that they are? Who do we think we are? And that is what God is doing to Job here in this first dialogue, this first discussion here. They say, Job, are you really going to contend with the Almighty? Are you really going to come into the presence of God? And that's going to be your response. Is that God doesn't know what He's doing. That God is not running the world properly. That He should do things differently. Because the way He does things, I don't like how He does it. It is as nonsensical as us doing that to each other on our job sites. Why would you ever do such a thing before God? And God's message is you just need to keep quiet and let God do His work. Let God do the work. And as we round this lesson out, and I want you to consider Job's, I mean, God's not done. Whole other, He's got more for Job. Even though Job's going to give a great response that we're going to look at, God is, is not done with Job. But notice what Job says in verse 3. Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. I have said too much. I should have never said the things that I said. I lay my hand over my mouth. And Job is right in that response because what Job now is beginning to understand is that God does have a purposeful creation. There is a purpose to the universe. There is a purpose to the order that He has made. Friends, the world runs the way that it does because God made it that way. It runs the way that it does because God has made it that way. And who are we to tell God that we do not like this creation order? That the way things run, we do not agree with. And friends, then to add that a little bit further, He has allowed suffering 
to be in the creation order. And he has allowed evil to be in the creation order. He has allowed these things to be. Rather than dispatching them at the moment they happened, he has allowed it to continue on. These, many of these things are results of sin, and yet God allowed these things to happen. Who are we to challenge the creation order? When God saw the creation order as good and the spiritual beings rejoiced over it, God's message to Job is do not contend with the Almighty. Do not say to him that he is failing in his obligations to you or his obligations to the world. Everything is going along God's plan and God's design. God has made this be the way that it is. If he so chooses to change it, he can certainly do so. But it all runs within his realm, within his order, within his view, within his sight. There is nothing that happens on this earth that he is not aware of. There is nothing that is going on that he doesn't know about. There is nothing that we would say, well, I need to fill God in. He must have made a clerical error or some kind of mistake when it comes to whatever it is in this world. That does not exist. I think our first point that God has given to Job is simply this. That we have been called to be humble and to have faith in God's purposes, in God's works, and in God's designs. We'll talk about this more in the next lesson. But God's answer is not, let me tell you my reasons. God's answer is, who are you to question how I run the world? This is God's end. And he sees fit to run it as he does. And we have no right to contend with the Almighty. Job wisely responds, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer. Twice, and I will proceed no further. We are called to trust God. Trust in His purposes. Trust in His creation. Trust in His work. And trust in His operation that He is dealing with all of these things Himself. I look forward to next week when we tack on even more to what God says. But let's stop there. We're going to sing a song and we invite you to come to your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ this very night to ultimately recognize that when God was calling for us to put our faith in Him, to put our trust in Him, that's in regards to everything. Even in suffering, we trust in God. Even when things in this life do not make sense, when things seem unjust, when things seem wrong, we are called upon to trust God who will deal with all of those things. He will take care of it. He knows what's going on. It is for us to trust what he is doing with Satan, what he is doing with evil, what he is doing with suffering.
He is dealing with it. May we praise Him and ultimately trust in Him to take care of that all. Will you come to Him tonight, turn away from your sins, be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, and follow Him with all of your heart? Won't you respond now while we stand?